0: Hello and welcome to Carl's interviews in podcast form. This is an audio extraction of the live interviews that I've conducted with some absolutely fantastic guests from all walks of life with a common theme. Have been truly inspiring, and I cannot wait for you to hear their story. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to another of Carl's interviews. Today I'm joined by Nick Butter. Nick is a British athlete, adventurer, author and very well known for being the first person ever to run a marathon in every country in the world. Um, I wasn't sure initially where I'd be speaking to Nick from because he was in the French Alps um, in a Kenzie, which is a Canadian igloo earlier. But um, I'm reassured he's safe, warm and dry with a decent internet connection and a chalet now, so that'll make things easier. So Nick, you're 31, you've already achieved more in your life than most people will in their entire life. Um, Before we come on to kind of what's coming next, these other challenges, I guess we've got to talk about some of those achievements. So you've run a marathon in every country in the world. Do you want to talk about, I suppose, the background, the ideas behind that, where it all came from?
1: So for anybody that doesn't know, um, I... uh amazingly I somehow managed to pull it off and became the first person to run a marathon in every country in the world um that was I started back in was that 2018 was that that right gosh seems so long ago now in 2021 um and it took me two years to get to the start line of planning this amazing you know trip to, to run a marathon in every country in the world and then it took me another two years from the start line to get to the eventual finish line after lots of hiccups and uh, all sorts of, yeah, mishaps along the way. Um, But like you said, this originated from... Uh, a brilliant man called Kevin Webber, who very sadly has terminal prostate cancer. Um, I met him when I was running the, the famous Marathon de Saab, the big, gruelling seven-day race. out in the Sahara Desert in Morocco. Um, and he was one of my seven campmates in my tent, main yeah. tents in the desert, a thousand people that run the race every year, roughly. And, uh, and he was one of them stranger at the beginning and then a a really good friend by the end and still now we are chatting all the time and he was the the guy that inspired everything he we had a conversation in the desert and it was this disconnect between the fact that he was incredibly happy bubbly smiley the most joyous guy you can imagine and yet he then goes and tells me that he's dying of prostate cancer and he can potentially only live for two years. It was one of those conversations where he says it and you kind of carry on a conversation and then you you go, sorry, what? Um, (laughs) and, and, And then it just kind of took me back. And I really had to think about, you know, I was sharing these footsteps in the desert with this guy who was terminally ill and yet he had the most amazing outlook on life. And so I, I listened to what he was saying and I took it in, didn't really appreciate the value of his words at the time. And then, going over and over in my head you know he said to me don't wait for a diagnosis and that phrase stuck there so don't wait for something to happen in your world for something truly you know have have an opportunity you need to go and do this now before it's too late and you never know when you know when your last day is and actually that's so true and we always I think all of us assume that we're going to go to bed tonight and wake up tomorrow um, and we don't know. As morbid as it sounds, the reality of life is it, it's it's fragile. The fragility of what we live with, um, and and that his conversation with me really, really kind of put that into focus for me. So, so that's where it all started. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something for prostate cancer UK. Um, I'm going to do something for Kev. I'm going to live by his message of, uh, you know, don't just don't just wait. You've got to, You've got to go out and follow your dreams. And I thought I already was really. I thought, you know, I was running out in the desert doing what I loved. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, what could I do if all of my dreams came true and this was it, you know, go around to every country, run in every country. And so um, I was really amazed that those words then led to what, five or six years later, <laughs> for me, having been to every country and um, overcoming all of those blockers. And amazingly, here we are chatting now.
0: Yeah. I mean we could spend hours just talking about that one bit in terms of the experience traveling around the world and for those who have not read your book yet um, I strongly encourage them to do so because it's for me what I like about it it's an honest account you don't try and gloss over and say everything was lovely and I was always happy and cheerful you're actually you're quite real with it as well which I really appreciate and I got that when you because I was at the National Running Show last year when you were talking and I do love the fact that you didn't go on always about the good bits you're actually saying well to be honest some of it was really really rough and i had some serious problems there as well
1: yeah i think that's that's quite important to do that because you know a journey especially of that scale of not just distance but also time there's going to be problems and that's kind of life isn't it and (laughs) that's the nature of what we do and i tell you what if it'd been plain sailing you know if we managed to find all the funds ourselves if we managed to get on every single plane and we'd had no cancellations and there were no kind of pandemics that propped up in the end (laughs) and all that sort of stuff then I would really have a story to tell and I wouldn't it wouldn't but, have been enriching and, and as you know it's good for the the kind of life lessons so um the bad bits were what made the half of the story really
0: what i've got to ask then you obviously um, you started in toronto in canada um and obviously it was a couple of years of prep but if you could go back to a couple of weeks before that to speak to yourself what would be one bit of advice you'd give yourself before commencing because i know you, you said you said you learned so much on the trip and you particularly underestimated some areas what do you tell yourself back then um
1: oh i tell myself so much um <laughs> really, i think there's a big thing about expecting certain things in certain countries like your preconceptions of uh, of people of languages of religions of the wealth divide of you know i think everybody in the world you think of africa you think of poverty um you think of the pacific islands you think of beauty and white sandy beaches and actually i experienced the whole a kind of range of great and bad things in each of those countries and if anything africa was probably my most enriching con- continent of them all because there was just so so much that i learned and so i think maybe i would say to myself just open your eyes and your mind wider than you've ever done before and and kind of expect the unexpected in a really pure way um, which is so so difficult to do and i suppose the other thing i would say which is also included in the book is probably go out and do a few more miles training um because <laughs> um, that was certainly something that took a back burner beforehand believe it or not and so um yeah i should have probably done a little bit more running in preparation
0: which is a pretty remarkable thing for someone of your calibre in terms of running to have said as well, because so, it's not as though you've d- done a couple of park runs and have couched the 5k and decided to go out and do this. I mean, it certainly could be regarded as a season runner before you commence this. And now, Christ, you're rapidly approaching a thousand marathons, I suspect, in the next year or two. Yeah,
1: that's the. Yes, I'm on what? I'm on 828 marathons now. I was 450 odd before I left the trip. I think that's about right. And so, yeah, 1,000 will happen. I mean, fairly soon. Maybe this year. I don't know. Probably not this year. That's probably too quick. But yeah, in the next couple of years. So, and and also i did a lot of ultras i did a lot of of, kind of distance ultras and so I, my body could definitely do the running it's just uh you throw the altitude the humidity the heat the cold the changing of climate so quickly when you when you hop from one country to the next because i was you know doing three marathons on average a week in, yes. in three different countries a week and so one day i'm in peru and two days later i'm in north korea and then two days after that i'm in ecuador you know and then you've just gone from <laughs> the from snow to the equator um and yeah sometimes you have 70 80 degrees of temperature difference just right within a couple of days so that was certainly challenging and i don't think uh, in that in that regard i couldn't have bettered my training you know you just kind of got yeah. sort to of- fumble along and make the best of it um but yeah maybe I, I did i did also break my ankle a few months before going off and doing this crazy run so um i would have probably not broken the ankle if I could, if I could... <laughs>
0: What I found interesting as well is having... I mean, I've, I'm lucky I've done a bit of travelling. Certainly not a patch on you, but between my time in the army and afterwards, I've seen various bits of the world. But how did you decide the orders to go round and what to do? What was kind of the governing factor for that? Because logistics must have been a nightmare, even with the help and support of friends and family. Yeah,
1: the logistics was by far the, the most difficult part of the whole trip. Um, I think once you get over the funding bit at the beginning, and the yeah. funding was all the way through, really... Putting that aside, the logistics was the most difficult because you have things like the language barrier to contend with. You have airlines that go bust. You have passports to juggle, stamps to make sure that you've got right in the right passport and visas at the right time that with with limited validity. Um, you've got the volatility of politics as well. Um, so all of those things pumped together, and then obviously you've got the physicality of running. Yeah. So um, how do we go about doing the route? The initial route, I went through through travel agents and I kind of knocked on doors and I said, like, I want to go to every country in the world. (laughs) What's the quickest route? Um, And they, unsurprisingly, took quite a while to get back to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm very fortunate that we didn't go down that route in the end, which was basically just saying, look, well, you tell me which way we should go. And we took it upon ourselves. And a couple of things, we we knew, A, we weren't going to be able to escape the weather. So I actually took my decision quite early on to go for the most extreme weather So rather than just go for middle of the road, kind of British rain, like warm rain, um, which wouldn't be very pleasant over two years, (laughs) um, I kind of went for very, very hot or very cold or very windy or very wet or very high or very low. So just tried to do everything in extremes in order to know what I was packing. Um, You know, packing and making sure I I only have a couple of vests now because I'm in hot countries for a month and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, The other angle of it was making sure that the visas were at the right time. So there's no point me going from one African country to the next African country in a you know over a four or five month stint straight out because i would have to wait for a good two or three weeks or even months in the middle in order for passports to be sent off to various different embassies to be uh, stamped and my visas to yeah. be approved because they don't last for very long and then it's too late and i get there and my visas run out or vice versa so we alternated um, Africa and Europe, those continents so I kind of okay. did a bit of Africa, a bit of Europe then went back to Africa, then went back to Europe um, and the other continents were more or less seamless, that makes it sound neat it wasn't <laughs> um, the, uh, and yeah, and the passports You know, we, we got through nine passports in the end so wow. having, having filled up nine passports was about three times as many passports as we thought we were <laughs> going to get through so that gives you an idea of how much we didn't know when we started, so know yeah, it was just a matter
0: of seeing what we could do You must have faced along the journey in various different times as well. People kind of asking the question of why? Because there's the obvious piece, which is an incredible thing to do the world record and what a worthy cause. But some people must have been challenging well, what are you doing and why are you doing this as well?
1: Yeah, that's so true. And actually, I did have a a couple of moments of of kind of personal crises when you see the rest of the world and you see the property. And this wasn't something I planned. You know, you plan is out for you, think you. You think you've kind of seen everything um, in your mind about what's going to happen. And then all the way halfway around, many times, I kind of got the, the, the sense, should I be doing this? Because there's so much poverty out there. Why don't I just give this plane ticket money to, yes. a, to a good cause? And that's something that was really on my mind quite a lot. Um, and actually, having now come out the other side 18 months later, of course, the right thing to do is to finish this journey and, and have this trip in order to be able to share it with you, to be able to share it in the book, to be able to share it in the documentary, and hopefully inspire others to do the same. So then the growth that you provide from those pounds spent is stretched far and wide, and the and the growth is exponential. So um, when you look at it like that, it's fine, but it's quite difficult when you're in, in, in country and you see see such poverty. So you know, why, I suppose what you're getting at is, why do something so crazy? And why do this? I guess for me, personally, it was ticking a lot of boxes, you know, trying to listen to what Kev said to me, which was what do I really want to do? I love yeah. taking photos. Um, I love meeting people, I love traveling, um, and of course I love running. Um and then wouldn't it be great to do something that raise some money for charity and it needed to be big enough in order to keep the attention of the world media? Because if you just if I did something for three months, for example. Yeah. I have a finite period of time to do something, of um, and so the longer the, the journey, and the more epic and the bigger, then the more money we might raise for the charity. So there was all sorts of considerations like that. But I think um, most friends of mine will tell you that you know, the bigger, the bigger the better. I just go for for the biggest thing I can think <laughs> of um, and hope and hope that it works out. So um, I suppose that was why. And obviously the, the message around Kevin my message which I hope comes across in the book and I certainly talk about in schools and various other places is is the value of time and I think if you know I have a, a finite period of time and there's this magic number of of 29,774 days 747 days um, which is the average amount of time a human being lives for and so when you calculate how many days you've used uh, and how many you might have left and then you subtract all of the hours you use watching tv or you know having a shower or having food and then you think actually i've only got such a small amount of time to actually do what i love yeah and so as soon as you realize that you're like i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i love because there isn't much time left and that's the reality even if we do live to the average age which you know some people don't so i think it was a combination of those words from kev and just trying to to go big or go home that's the, the my kind of message
0: no, I certainly think you've achieved that. And you, you've set yourself a high bar for future challenges as well. Yeah. yeah. But um, something else you must have seen as well was um, some incredible examples of the generosity and kindness of um, not only humans, but strangers as well. Are there any that particularly spring to mind you think, wow, that's, you know, I just wasn't expecting that and it made such a difference to your trip?
1: There were loads. There was more than you can ever possibly imagine. Um, you know, From day to day, there were people that were providing me with Support were hosting me, letting me stay in their home when I didn't. They didn't even speak the same language. Um, were giving me money for taxis when they couldn't even afford money for food themselves. This is stuff that you just don't think is real. You yeah. just do not think people would do that. And when it happens, you think, "Well, am I being scammed? Am I part of a YouTube video? Am I going to be mugged?" What's the like, What's and and actually, I slowly learned through the trip that people are just being nice. And I was yeah. like, it really took me back. I think that was one of the biggest shocks. Is that there's just so much brilliance in humanity around yes, the world yes. and i was speaking to actually from somebody from sky today a really lovely chap and we were talking about the the downside of lots of mainstream media is that they focus on the bad stuff because the bad stuff is the kind of the nature of their business and that's what the world is apparently um keen on hearing about and so i'd love it if there was this beautiful channel out there which just celebrated all the good stuff going on in the world because that's Pretty much all I experienced on the journey. Yes, I did have a couple of hiccups along the way. Um, But on the whole, I had people giving me bottles of water that couldn't afford to feed their own children. And I could have paid for that bottle of water from them. But because I didn't have money, they would just say, no, it's fine. Go and have it. I can't imagine if you're in a petrol station in the UK and, you know, you couldn't afford to pay your, your 30 quid for fuel and somebody would just come up and give you the money. Maybe that would happen a few times. But you then extrapolate that to the the kind of wealth divide. You know, yeah. that's not just the 30-quid fuel tank. That's massive money for them. And so it happened. I can't single one thing out. It happened all the time. Um, and I was certainly left feeling like I needed to do more, which is certainly which uh, contributed to why I set up the the 196 Foundation, which yes. um, uh, we've now set up, and we're now just about to relaunch because we're – I've managed to find some time and some other people to support. So we're, yeah. I mean, we don't have to talk about that now, but the, the foundation is I think my kind of nod to all of those people around the world that have helped me in my effort to to do, to do some good in return.
0: Well, it was one of the questions we've we'll asked later, but we can definitely talk about mm-hmm. it now. So explain a little bit more. What What's the rationale behind it? What is it? What are you trying to achieve with it?
1: yeah thanks God the, the 196 foundation obviously there's 196 countries in the world that's where the number comes from and i'm asking for donations of 1 pound 96 per month or if you're in america 1 dollar 96 or if you're somewhere in europe 1 euro 96 per month as a regular donation and you put that in a pot and us and the, the trustees on the charity we look after that money until we get to a certain point in the year and then we email every, every one of the donors and say right we've got A few of these applications that have come in from support from around the world and whether it's a a family that has a a disabled child that needs some help with maybe an expensive wheelchair or whether it's um, trying to pay for some schooling in some other countries around the world or maybe setting up a school in Rwanda or Uganda somewhere, whether it's small or big. Um, we look at what money we have. we look at the need and how far that money will go and the impact that that money will have and then we say to you right, so all of you have voted you all of you have donated £1.96 ninety six per month. you will get a vote for where this money goes, and in the long term of the, the, the charity will have hopefully thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of donors, and therefore that money will be huge that we 'll be able to do some good with so over the next few years we 're going to be doing smaller projects and hopefully. bringing more volunteers on so the idea is lots of small donations from lots of people to make big change all over the world and it's just a £1.96 donation and the website will be going live again uh, because we took it down in order to to spruce it up a little bit um so that'll be going live in about 72 hours time so um 196 foundation is relaunching so yeah please do share it far and wide we're going to do some some really cool stuff with it
0: what I really like about that, as well is the fact that you're letting people have a say, because sometimes kind of criticisms of either donating to charities or charities themselves, you don't always have that say where the money goes, whereas you're actually yeah. giving people a vote. I think it's a fantastic opportunity because then yes. they feel it, even more invested in it, don't they?
1: Yeah. And, and I think also the, there's two things with the charity. Number one, we're stretching every single pound that we have. So coming from a finance background, I'm very keen on mm. making sure that if we're spending a pound on something, Really, we it would normally cost three or four pounds. You know, we're trying to be as uh, as kind of yeah, frugal as we possibly can with every bit of money. The other angle is that you talk about the the power of voting. Is every one pound ninety six you donate that counts as one vote? So the more you donate, the more you have uh, saying power, the more voice you have. Yeah, um, and so you know whether you want to give a hundred thousand pounds or just one pound ninety six you have that amount of votes. And therefore, when we get to the voting month, which will be a 30-day period once in the year, you then can can kind of class your class your votes on 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 wherever you need them um and the 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 winner of that project will then be be awarded with the the project and it's not just the case of going right well you said we should build a school over there let's go and give a a chunk of money to the to the rwandan government um it's going to be a case of we find volunteers and we find builders if we need to build a school a project manager if we need to have someone to project manage out there and we find people in country to help Uh, and so no money is wasted no money goes on any of the team no money goes on anything else other than delivering that project and making sure the money is is impactful
0: no it's absolutely it, it, fantastic so i'd like to sort of go back a little bit about the, the travel and yeah. then we've got to talk about some of the craziness like um the italian grand tour and other bits like that oh yeah that little, that little joke yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> interestingly for that for those following it as well it's um Because of the beauty of social media, I I find it kind of a blessing and a curse. It can be an incredible force for good, but it can sometimes be so real and so raw as well. And I I think your highs and lows are really shared, especially on Instagram as a platform there when things were going better or worse
1: yeah certainly in uh in italy and on running the world really there was a there was a lot of a lot of stuff that was going wrong and i think it's quite nice to share that at the time i had a really good advice from from mark beaumont kind of a, an unofficial mentor of mine mark beaumont's famously cycled around the world the quickest and yeah. really really great chap um and he said to me the best thing you can do in terms of capturing your journey is to always film the bits you don't want to film and okay. that- for me it was just brilliant advice because you know whenever you're crying or you're upset or you're angry or it's just the emotions you would immediately have a kind of a reaction to hide you yeah. want to share because that's the real nature of the journey so yeah we, we had a fair few of those on on both journeys and um, and ones before both of those but um yeah running the world was there was some there were some down points as well
0: What's, uh, again, you sort of almost pass at some down points. I mean, it was probably wrong here. Shot at, mugged at gunpoint, broken elbow, um, diarrhea, food poisoning, kidney problems, heart issues. I mean, it's, it certainly wasn't without its challenges, was it? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose some minor problems probably aren't. There, <laughs> there, were, there were quite a few things that went wrong. I mean,
1: 674 days. I think most people get ill at some point during that time. So kind of like chalk one of those off as a normal life. Okay, it cool.
0: Three of those. I'll give you that.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then the other bits, I suppose that is kind of expedition specific, you know, being stopped at, stopped at the border in Yemen and being practically arrested for accidentally being a mule for, for smuggled <laughs> goods and drugs which i had no idea about um, being mugged at knife point and gunpoint in nigeria in lagos that was pretty harrowing um being chased and bitten by dogs frequently um 22 bouts of food poisoning um 80 odd days where i didn't eat any food whatsoever being hit by a car having a minor heart attack i suppose you can pick any of these up if you like. All <laughs> then, it all sounds pretty horrendous, but I guess, you know, those are finite moments that are then, I suppose, linger in my mind, but the rest of the journey kind of swallows those bad bits up with the with the positive bits.
0: Of course. And, and in fairness as well, it's um, I'm not sort of saying in a schadenfreuden way, but I don't think people would have quite been so behind you if you had 196 countries, <laughs> everyone was plain sailing, it was easy, the runs were good. They wouldn't quite empathise in the same way, would they? No, that's so true.
1: But I can tell you, there were days where I wish that that was happening.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, please go away. You know, having a kidney infection and running in the humidity of Bangladesh at 40 degrees at like yes. 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that, 6 o'clock in the morning, um, and, you know, peeing blood, and it, you just feel like your body's just giving up on you. Um, yeah. And you get One thing in front of the other, and, and you get there in the end. So I suppose that's the nature of endurance, isn't it? Just kind of being stubborn. I don't know why we call it endurance, really. We should just call it it stubborn. <laughs>
0: Is that because obviously you've done ultra events before? You've done marathons. Was this even harder because the accumulated effect and all the other factors? Was this something where you really tested yourself not only physically but mentally as well? Or do you think you had enough in the bank from before? To
1: try and answer that honestly, I think it wasn't harder or or easier. I think it was different because with an ultra event, let's say you go and run 200 miles in a race. You train for that. You pack your food. You have your sleep for weeks out. You make sure your preparation is on point, and you all know that you can only do so much in the race. So let's yeah. try and bank as much as you can in benefit before. And what I didn't have was, as soon as I hit the road on January the sixth in, in 2018, on day one, it was all pretty much downhill from there because I, I couldn't have any rest. By and you know, you say I was listening to all these audio books. I listened to hundreds of audio books on the yeah. trip. And, and one of them was about the power of sleep. And at the time, I was just getting no sleep, and it really <laughs> makes you realise that you know just having those extra few hours of sleep before a marathon, yeah. or being able to go, yeah, I'm going to have my banana now. And some days it was yeah, get off the plane, run at two in the morning, sleep all afternoon, miss yeah. the miss any restaurants. It not being safe enough outside, or maybe there weren't even restaurants around. When I say restaurant, I'm talking stools or anything yes. you can get your hands on. Um, and then maybe I would sleep through my plane meal, or maybe there was no plane meal. And then before you know it, you've got to run another one. Um, and maybe in a different climate, maybe you've had to dodge a, dodge a bullet or two. Um, and so it kind of all accumulates. So it's very, very different. And um, psychologically, it is much, much more damning than than at yeah. any yeah. Ultra event, um, just because the relentless nature of, you know, one day mm-hmm. to the next.
0: And then in, in terms of motivation for you to, to physically get up and keep going, did was that challenged and tested or was your reason why, if you like, everything from the start the journey from Kev and then the people you were working with, the experiences you had, kept you going?
1: Um, I, yeah, again, being really honest with that, I didn't have many problems about motivation during the trip because I think, in all honesty, it was definitely Kev and it was definitely, yeah. you know, what is the alternative if you don't get out of bed and do this then should i just go back and have a nine to five and give up on the yeah, dream yeah. you know it's, as soon as you realize that it's like well we've got to get out of bed you know as <laughs> simple as that and then you throw in the expense and how much you've invested pe- other people's money and time and energy yeah. and every and you think well i'm just feeling a bit rough like let's just go out and run uh, and this once you've done a few grueling marathons like you know i did mbs with a broken foot and uh all the all the marathons with with food poisoning or kidney infections or peeing blood or no food as soon as you've done a few of those you're going to go well i kind of know what i'm expecting it's a shame i'm not going to really enjoy this one but let's just get the miles done um and then once you finish it's like yeah i'm proud of that one and you've got another little you know you start to appreciate that accumulation of benefit. You know, you've You've gone, okay, I, I ran marathon to start with a broken foot, so that's a tick in the box. Uh, I ran a couple of marathons with food poisoning, that's a tick in the box. I ran a couple of marathons in plus 60 degrees, that's a tick in the box. And then you kind of realise, like, you've begun to be experienced. And once you've got that experience, you can build on it. So the people I coach and that I support now, I try and instil that if it's hard and horrible, then that's helping you. You know, you have to think a bit like that. And I'm sure you know that from the military. Like you, you gain a lot from,
0: from your setbacks more so than you do from your successes well for me i found and it's what i've told people because I, I did and it's absolutely nothing about you i did 10 marathons in 10 days in october and i found even from that that i was able to draw upon past experiences when things were hurting about I thought well i did that that was okay but what i also found as well because i was doing one for breast cancer at the time and i sat there were two people passed away during the year i was in the fundraiser i thought well I've got it still easier than them because there is an end of this. One, the 26.2 is done for today. That's finished. Whereas these people and like to care, don't have that chance. So I kind of use yeah. that as a motivation as well. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Couldn't say it about myself. It's just. It's just the alternative is is uh, is not worth thinking about you know even if the alternative is just i'm not going to travel around the world anymore yeah. <laughs> you know even <laughs> even if it is just that then it's still worth getting out of bed for so honestly i didn't have i probably had 2 days in the entire trip where i really wanted to hit pause i never wanted okay. to hit never wanted to hit eject i just wanted to hit pause quite you know those 2 times significantly and and they were they were all because of illness or because yeah. of logistical things going so badly wrong that I thought right we just need to sit back and and refresh this but obviously we couldn't do that because the the time was continually ticking.
0: Well we hit on it slightly earlier so I've got to ask what was your I suppose motivational rationale behind the the 100 days 100 marathons north to south Italy?
1: Yeah yeah so Italy was a couple of Kind of uh, objectives with that, so I wanted to run from the very north to the very south of Italy. I wanted to do it before Christmas Eve, and when we were planning it, there was about 120 days before, and so I thought, right, well, we've got 100 days. Let's call it 100 <laughs> days. Um, and I thought, well, that's quite a nice figure. And Italy is only about a thousand miles long. And uh, thought well, that's not really 100 days. That's not really hard enough. So let's just do let's do a marathon a day. So let's do a you know, hundred marathons in 100 days, um, and then. I thought, in all honesty, I thought he was going to be a bit of a jolly, um, because, <laughs> because, because I knew I could do the distance, I was very yeah. fit from doing Running the World, yep. and I thought, well, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. And then I think you throw in the fact that I'm living with, with Nicky, with Poppy, yeah. in a van, in a pandemic and and then you 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 kind of realize that after your twentieth marathon you 're kind of in it now, and yes. there's no back, and so you just kind of struggle on and then stuff happened um during that journey, which made things more difficult um Fortunately, I really did think the pandemic was going to close in on us. Um, okay. and- you no, know, I, I thought we were going to get to a, you know, for example, getting down to Sicily and Sicily being closed. Yeah. Um, when we started, Sicily was red, aka you can't go into Sicily. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if we get there and we can't go in, then I've gone as far as I can. That's kind of my attitude with it. Yeah. Fortunately, three days before we arrived in Sicily, um, to the to the ferry for Sicily, they opened up um and so we had our covid test and we came over and but there was that in the back of my mind that i thought we might be running for 80 odd days and then not actually finish it so that was that was difficult um and then the bad weather came we had huge hailstorms and yep. electrical storms um uh i was I, I had a fractured shin i nearly forgot about that one um i i I was over-training, I think, and then overrunning and running very badly. My form was awful. Um, wasn't thinking about my nutrition enough. Um, and I was just a bit careless. And therefore, my my shin started to be sore and then eventually um, fractured quite badly. Um, yeah. And I was told I should have six weeks six weeks off and kind of the trip is over. Um, but I thought, well, I can still do 100 marathons in 100 days. Let's just see what my leg feels like after a week um yeah. and on day eight after seven days with my leg up feeling miserable and sorry for myself I um I gave it a go not really thinking I'd get very far but amazingly just trying it and kind of willing it to be better um I managed to do it and I haven't had any problem with it since then um and so those that days those seven days of running I missed um the seven marathons I then had to catch up by doing double marathons yeah. later on <laughs> um, which <laughs> It made it a little bit more difficult um, and made it difficult because we were also doing that during the incredibly rainy part of the journey and the particularly more kind of less developed poor part of Italy. Yeah. Um, And so we had some break-ins to the van. Um, I was also hit by a car again, Um, (laughs) which I can't really believe my luck with that. (laughs) I got away with without any, you know, that was a real close call. If I had, i been a few more inches to the right, I would, uh, I may not be talking to you now. So that was, that was a big reminder to uh, to maybe look over my shoulder a little bit more. Um, So stuff, stuff didn't go well, but I did a write up recently on the blog about it. And all in all, we look back with such fond memories. You know, we took a Polaroid camera with us and we just, just snapped away every day and we've got some brilliant you know crappy photos that really sum up the sum up the journey really nicely so um i'm i'm very very grateful that we did it it was harder than i thought but doing an expedition doing something that i love during a pandemic that was legally okay and actually we were there was so few people in italy we hardly saw anybody i kind of feel like it was the best thing we could have picked um and coincidentally that's um that was it was born out of a trip being cancelled because of covid so i was supposed to be going to malawi and doing a okay. north to south malawi um and then that got cancelled literally two or three days before we were due to go because of covid lockdown um and then uh, and then a few months later this opened up and we could uh we could give it a go. And I can now say I've uh, seen Italy quite a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can imagine it must have been really difficult for Nikki as well, though, because obviously it is one thing you doing that physical part of it. But her with the logistics, the support and also seeing you in pain at times, seeing yeah. you struggling, it must have been quite hard for her as well. I think the seeing me uh, in pain, and seeing me struggling
1: was probably quite enjoyable for her. Um, <laughs> uh, I think she, she had it just as bad as I did, actually. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of choose to do this. She was kind of dragged along to a lovely romantic Italian trip, which turned into a <laughs> portrait for her. Um, you know, driving a van through Italy, she'd never driven on the wrong side of the road before, um, in a massive van with a puppy yeah. Yeah. Um, in a country we don't speak the language. It, that takes its toll. And then towards the end of the trip, my phone broke, which doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you're running in a country where you don't know where you're going and you need to communicate with one another, if we yeah. split up, yeah. I wouldn't have been able to contact her. Um, and so she had to drive behind me several days doing my doubles towards the end, 10 or 11 hours, um, just driving at a snail's pace with the yeah. puppy screaming at her. Um, so that wasn't very fun, but I know she did brilliantly. And I, the van life, that's what you get with it. And yeah. I love that side of it. It's simple, um, you know, little things happen. Like when we were broken into, they stole our spare keys. And um, so we had to turn the tracking off for the journey. Um, which was bad but the worst point of that was that they also stole our water tank key which meant that we couldn't have any water in the van um which is basically saying right you're not going to wash or shower yes. or drink. <laughs> and so um we then had to get bottled water and it was just not what we planned um and we kind of just had to overcome those but it was brilliant we had lots of lovely messages of support and thank you to you guys who uh, who yeah, were following me on that because i thoroughly enjoyed it even through the the tough bits
0: i I can imagine it got to that stage after um without the water and the washing poppy climbs into the van and does an about turn with a sensitive nose and walks off
1: pretty much yeah she just kind of of adds to it i think especially when we're running along the coast and you've got a puppy there's a lot of sand that gets involved (laughs) Um, when when you're sleeping and eating and living in this in one space um sand and a puppy and sweaty wet clothing is it's just a recipe for a a horrible, (laughs) horrible smelly evening, uh, one after the other. So um, yeah, I I think I love the journey because of those ups and downs, but (laughs) it wasn't what we anticipated
0: I I can imagine as well, actually, you've got to be quite disciplined with it as well in terms of your routine to ensure that actually you don't get either illness problems, sores, other issues, and actually turn that kit around and get sorted. And that must be hard at the end of, especially a, a difficult marathon or a double. So is that just a case of, Go into that place again, sort of getting your mind sorted, and right, I need to do this? Or is that relying yeah. on Nikki to help you as well?
1: I suppose you have those things in the military from your experience. You'll know that I think the more you have as a, as a regimented routine, the more you don't have to think about it. It's the whole concept yeah. of only having one suit or one shirt or one pair of shoes. You don't have to yeah. think about what you're doing. Just put that on. And so for me... You know, I had my supplements to take every day. I knew I had to have a, at least one protein shake. Uh, I knew that, that I was going to have to have at least one decent meal in the day. Um, and I knew that the little heater that we have, the engine needs to be on, we need to set the heating up, we need to put that on before I arrive back. And so that's fine, but even if you set all of those out at the beginning, you don't really know what it's going to be like. And so with everything, you kind of have to adapt as you go. Um, and then, of course, by the time you get to the very end, it's perfect and you then don't do it anymore. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, we, we got into our routine really really quite nicely. Um, and there's something quite um, uh, harmonious about that. I quite like that.
0: Before we talk about a couple of your future challenges I've just got one I don't know it's a bone to pick or a query so this is for those who haven't seen it the front cover of your book mm. you've got 196 countries you saw I can imagine some of those beautiful sites in the world why have you got a picture of your back running away <laughs> what, what, what was the decision behind that? It wasn't my decision, and I'm thankful okay. for saying that. Um, we,
1: I I had a design for the front cover. Know, I've not said this before, I don't think. I had a design for the front cover in mind. Um, when, Even before I started, I thought, oh, yeah, that would yeah. be quite a good book cover. Um, and it was kind of a montage made up of all sorts of you Yeah, it was quite a good idea, but quite labour-intensive. And what with my... Right. Um, how can I put it? My manuscript being very delayed to the publishers, it that was a uh, virtually an afterthought. In all honesty, oh, um, like really? let's just get it done now. Um, <laughs> we actually the the book is actually relaunching in April next year. That sounds okay. like crazy far away, but Penguin um, apparently do this with all their publications where they um, publish it again, exactly the same words, but we have yep. changed the cover, um, and it's going to be like a pocket-sized, thicker. It's already pretty thick, but yeah. thicker and. a a kind of a condensed version for kind of a travel book. Um so same words, same everything, just um a little bit smaller, but the front cover will be changed because I've requested
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) So looking into sort of some of the bits or aspirations you got, I've read that you've got, as you described it, a huge challenge in 2023. Mm. Um the bit that kind of threw me with that is for a man that's run American every country in the world what do you call a huge challenge? I mean, are we talking plan with NASA and American on the moon? Or what sort of aspirations have you got? Are, are you allowed to share? Or is it still only I'm, the planning stage?
1: I'm not allowed to share. I'm sworn secrecy by some sponsors. But I, okay. um, I can tell you that it is bigger in many ways. I suppose I can say that the community element of what I'm trying to do um, and the the fundraising element um i'm not saying anything else (laughs) um is going to be is going to be epic and i really truly believe that what we've got planned will revolutionize the way runners fundraise and the way that that running is perceived and it's also personally um is going to be the biggest challenge i will ever do um mostly because i can't do any more i think um (laughs) so there's uh it's it's big, the duration is long, the, the the travel is big and um we're gonna focus heavily on uh on environmental causes and I don't think I should say anything else. <laughs> I no, think no, that's, no,
0: that's fair generally, enough.
1: Generally what it is. Um yeah, I wish I could maybe I share it with you offline, but um there's uh there's I'm really excited for it and it's something we we're actually planning this. I had phone calls talking about this during running the world that's how wow. long it's been going on um you know if we manage to finish this journey then what shall i do next um yeah. and i think for my own sanity i had to have something ready in the pipeline for when i finished um otherwise that would have been quite miserable i think so um uh yeah it's, it's gonna be great but we've got a lot of stuff going on this year which is i yes. can talk about um which is which is very exciting and also is a great training method for training uh, option for uh, for the future so i can tr- do you want me to talk a bit, a bit about them
0: yeah please do
1: um so this year is a uh, well the speaking tour i should probably say the speaking tour is right at the end of the year um yep. so the last 90 days of the year now we've kind of moved everything back in order to accommodate for you know i think we need to say the covid words um so once, once that's put to bed and the, the speaking tour will be up and running again. And so we've got loads of theatres. If anyone's listening and wants me to come and speak in your area, then let me know because we're kind of after ambassadors to help organise events in
0: certain places. Um, so, sorry, how, what's the best way for them to get hold of you to either book you or find out where you're speaking then?
1: The best way is to email me or to DM me. And my email address, my phone number and obviously DM is on Instagram. So um, it's all on there. Uh, if you click on the little link you can find all all of that and just just say hi and if you want anything to you know if you want to help in any way then that'd be great um so the the other the other things we've got on this year which is going to be great we're doing four expeditions lots of mileage lots of adventure doing things with some kind of environmental causes at the heart we're trying to build on that um and also doing some other cool initiatives in, in country so the first one is doing north to south of new zealand um which is coming up quite soon which may be postponed because of covid um that's the north to south and then next one would be iceland circumnavigation of iceland uh which is going to be epic and yeah horribly hard and i'm actually running on the very very edge of the country which is quite difficult wow. to do because of the volcanic um, conditions uh and then the third one is malawi so north to south of malawi which is the most planned because, as I said, that was supposed to be happening last year. Um, So that's ready to go, and that's going to be very community-focused, lots of schools, lots of charities, lots of non-profits, giving out malaria meds, mosquito nets, doing some water projects, just some really cool stuff. We're trying to – every kind of running thing I'm doing forever now is going to try and have a really good cause at the heart so I can kind of speak that message a little bit more. Um, And the final thing of the year before the the speaking tour is – the last trip which is more of a knees up to be honest um which is a, a circumnavigation of bali um so the team and i and hopefully lots of people from the uk and around the world can come along and, and run with me it's not very far it's a couple of three or four hundred miles around and we'll i won't be doing it all in one day but that has been <laughs> i have i have been uh, kind of challenged to see if i can do it without sleep so that might happen but um yeah, there's there's just going to be a cool little end to that before we, we go on. But there's lots of lots of other stuff we're doing, which, again, is not really worth talking about at the moment because it's all kind of in the stage of, you know, if I talk about it, you can't take action on it yet because we're yeah. just waiting yeah. to put the pieces in. But we've got a, a really great grant that we're, we're putting together for adventurers. It's going to be the biggest adventure grant in the world. Um, and I'm really proud of that. That's coming very soon. We've got the 196 Foundation. Um, and I think on social media, which we've been talking about, which is the Free Your Footprint campaign, um, which is going to live eternally. And it's just going to grow and grow and grow. So any volunteers, we need all the help we can get. I well, was just looking at my little map of everybody we've got supporting us. And like, like you know, we were talking about it right at the beginning, community and selflessness from from mankind. It's, it's kind of what's propelled me to to be here speaking with you. You know, I couldn't have done it without these people. So lots of really cool stuff and having a good time. Half of my time is in a laptop, half of my time is uh is outside running with the dog.
0: And it, it so you said about someone challenging you to do the whole thing. Am I right that you've done the furthest you've run in one go is three hundred and fifty one miles? Yeah. How does that how do you even do that? And what were the circumstances for it? Slowly. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, that was that was actually far more far more difficult than I thought. Um and again I did sleep, so this is the okay. next one I do not sleep. Um but it was a it was a continuous thing. So it was kind of start yeah. the clock and then yeah, and then not, not finish. Yeah. So three hundred and fifty miles. I probably had about four hours sleep in those three hundred and fifty. Um, which was horrible. Um lots of rain. uh uh, but we we got it done and it was just the point to point um again it's a training exercise i used to do every other weekend where i used to run midday saturday to midday sunday um and that was uh, 24 hours training for ultras and also just to kind of mentally kind of grind me down and get to the point where i was exhausted and fed up and wanted to stop you know soon the more you experience that you'll know that from the military that the more you kind of beast yourself the more you can kind of get up so um I did lots of that and so this was part of that training but I think Barley will probably turn into quite a brutal run if, uh, if lots of friends <laughs> find it the way. Uh,
0: and in terms of you saying about um, some help and support and a couple of you asked that question is there anything in particular you're really still after at the moment if someone has got either a skill set or connections or knowledge what, what do you need? <laughs> How long have you got?
1: Um, we've, we've, we've got a lot of, a lot of help that we need so and um, mostly it's around the environmental fundraising aspect we've most of the projects we have we need another additional body or two to support with some networking contacts some social media work uh some website stuff as well um but generally it's just kind of chipping in with the team um and you know you've got free of footprints we've got the 196 foundation we've got this this adventure grant that's launching soon um and a, a magazine as well that we're talking about so There's a lot of stuff that's going on. I guess if anybody's out there that is interested in kind of helping the planet and mankind and is a lover of running and has some spare hours, I think you'll enjoy being a part of it. Because I think all the people we've got involved are just so lovely. And it's just such a family feel. And we have our weekly calls and take away our little actions to get stuff done. Um, And it's like, you know, it's like the, uh, I suppose it's the opposite of, of that council meeting that was all over youtube recently all over the news where it just was horrible it's the opposite of that it's everybody's friendly and just chipping in and i guess all the volunteers that have come forward the first thing i say to everybody is there's no pressure to you know if you want to get involved and you're super enthusiastic but then you realize you've not got no you've got any time and you need to go and go and do some work or you know it's not for you then step away from it you know it's not like you're, you're you're wrapped in forever um but yeah anybody that can help, I'd be really grateful because there's there's some really good stuff we're doing and I can't do it myself.
0: Yeah, it it genuinely sounds really exciting. And from my limited experience with the running community, kind of that passion, that spirit, that kindness is something that so many of them embrace. And I've seen time and time again from people at a local park run to obviously you were at the National Running Show last year. You met lots of people there. And it's, it's just the way they are really, isn't it? And it's, it's such a lovely thing. So to try and do it on a global scale, yeah. uh, I imagine you have a lot of success and support for that.
1: Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate it. I think there's something very special about the running community. And I suppose everybody says that, whether you're a cyclist or a poet or a potter or a painter, you know, you always say your community is great. But I really think running is, there's something about, what running gives us yeah. um, is—it it just seems to be. It just spreads through us, and obviously that's very, very obvious at the running show and Run Fest and all those kind of things. So, um, yeah, I'm very grateful, um, and I think especially what we've got happening over the next couple of years, and then in 23 the network's only going to get bigger, and what we're going to be aspiring to do is uh, is going to be even bigger and bigger. So. Um, yeah, I'm just just I guess say thank you to you and everybody else that's helped over the years and donated and kind of been a part of the journey because it would be nowhere near the same if I just went and ran around the world and nobody noticed, or <laughs> I, uh, I wrote a book and nobody bought it, or I uh, or I did all of this fundraising to, for good causes if nobody benefited from it. So I think I think I'm very proud that we're now in a position where we've got a lot of projects that are doing some really good stuff. Um, I would just like more bodies in order to be able to push it quicker because I think most of us runners are impatient, and I am one of those. So (laughs) quite keen to push them quicker.
0: Well, last time I checked, I think your prostate cancer fundraiser, one hundred forty-two thousand five hundred twenty-one, which is an epic amount of money but what i will say is if people are looking at um getting a copy of your book and i'm not just saying that's because you're on i always believe in being honest and actually what i found with your book is i really appreciated the honest account even silly things where you were saying well actually looking back i was probably rude there i didn't cope with that well and this was really difficult and i admire that instead of just 400 pages of well i just ran a bit it was rather jolly So, so where can they get hold of a copy of your book yeah, thank you.
1: Yeah, um, so the book is if you click on Instagram, it's in my link in my bio, and you can just click my latest book, and it'll go straight to Amazon on there. Soon going to be on my website, but to be honest, if you want it quickly, um, click on Amazon, you'll probably get it in, in the next couple of days. Um, so yeah, that's that's the best place to get it. Just called Running the World, and also that you mentioned the donations. We're up. We believe with offline donations, we're up probably over two hundred and forty thousand now. Amazing. Fantastic. Um, A lot of stuff that didn't go through the fundraising page, which doesn't really matter because it's gone to the right place. So um but yeah I'm pretty pleased with that. Um I hope that we can just continue can continue to increase. So um fingers crossed.
0: And how do people find the fundraising page if they want to search for you on Just Giving?
1: Yeah, so if you just search "Running the World" um Just Giving or "Running the World Nick Butter" on Google, your Just Giving page will be right up there. Um, and yeah, anything you can give will be great. And again, if you if you don't want to go through that route, then just write a cheque to prostate cancer. Um, um, or they're always looking for volunteers and support. And um, there is another, I suppose, an educational piece I think everybody should do about prostate cancer. Whether you know, and that again doesn't involve any money. Um, just try and learn a little bit about it and for anybody that's a man and over forty years old, there's an opportunity that you need to take responsibility for your health and go and get checked every year and for men to start talking about it and to forget about any embarrassments or stigma with prostate cancer and actually go and save your life and others by talking about it. Um and so if you know anybody that's in that 40 category and a man, go and talk to them. Um because there's there's people out there that will let some minor symptoms Kind of dwindle on year after year and before you know it you're a goner um and that's the same with prostate cancer if you catch it early you, your chances of living are huge so uh yeah it's something that i think for kevin for everybody else that's suffering we need to talk about it more and i want in my lifetime prostate cancer to be the same level as breast cancer the elevation um of of the awareness um and actually the science for prostate cancer is better than breast cancer it's just we need to talk about it more
0: no, no, I think it's really well put, and I didn't realise till I started looking into it how prevalent it was. I've got one of my colleagues at work who's had it three times, with a couple of friends who have lost family to it, and they said eleven thousand pe- many a year in the UK die of it, don't they? It's now twelve thousand. Oh, wow. up.
1: Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and it's it's ultimately going up because men, men are ageing. there's a lot of men that die with prostate cancer as opposed to from it. Um, but the thing is, if things start to change and people start to be slightly healthier or unhealthy. And you could also have no symptoms. That's the thing. It's like, as soon as I hit that age of 40, probably before then, realistically, I'm going to go and get checked because it's an easy thing to do. And you take it off the list and you go, right, I'm not dying of prostate cancer. And if you don't get checked, you might be dying of prostate cancer. That's the reality. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of, it's one in, uh one in eight men um and one in eight white men and one in four black men um so it's doubling black men so i think we just need to talk about it um talk about it more and i'm going to continue to uh, to bang that drum as as long as i live
0: no fantastic it? it's been an absolute pleasure this evening um and i guarantee there'll be lots of people that've enjoyed it either that watch live or be catching up is there anything you'd like to say to people before we part no thank you i guess
1: um yeah all of these missions aren't uh are not possible with without a lot of support, like I've just hinted at. But you know, the donations, uh, all the brands that I work with, people like yourself that, that you know just just put it out there and give me a platform to talk about this stuff because it's it's really important. Um, and I can catch myself sometimes being tired of an evening and going, "Oh, I'm, I'm doing call after call." Not this kind of call. This is what I enjoy. But you know, organizing stuff in the background, yeah. I think you no, know, that needs to happen. So thank you to everybody and the last thing is if you want to get involved and share some footsteps with me somewhere whether it's in the uk at a park run or whether it's on a beach somewhere or on a big trip and halfway across the world then um then let me know email me and just say yeah i want to be involved and even if we don't make it happen for a year or two then then so be it um we'll we'll get we'll get a chance at some point we've got a, a cool trip happening in the beginning of 22 in japan actually which I can't say more about that either but um <laughs> that's
0: fantastic nick thank you very much for your time and um i look forward to next time we can either speak or meet up
1: yeah we'll definitely do some money together mate really really appreciate it thank you so much bye
0: and that concludes another interview for the day thank you to each and every one of you for listening and as ever if you have any feedback send it through to me at my instagram handle fighting underscore the underscore dad enjoy the rest of your day